Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Check out Unpacking Israeli History podcast. From the history of infamous terror groups, Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from season six each week. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees, every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Hello, this is Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. Robert Evans is our guest. Hello, Robert. <laughs> oh, Margaret. Oh, we have a good time. Laughter. <laughs> Fun stuff. I mean, oh. the joke. Comedy. I love yeah. a podcast. Yeah. You know what I love most about podcasts, Margaret? What do you love about podcasts, Robert? The fact that every single person can make a six-figure living from podcasts if they just pay $5,800 for our two-day inspirational convention meeting at the airport Ramada in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Not at the Marriott anymore? No, they, they kicked us right the fuck out. Oh, Margaret, I'm going to be honest fair. with you. I was just taking the deposit money to spend on Delauded. Well, I mean, how else are you going to get Delauded? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't grow on... Well, it does grow in a plant, kind of. But then they have to do stuff to it to make it Delauded. Yeah. Those people deserve a living wage. Yes. I actually am here to represent all of the different painkillers, except for coding, which have unionized in order to demand more of them be given to me. Yeah. It's a beautiful showing of solidarity. Hydrocodone, Delauded, And Sophie's morphine, a producer. Hello, Sophie. Hydrosol. Okay. Hi, Sophie. <laughs> Hi. Ian is our audio editor. Hello, Ian. On Woman wrote our theme song. Hello, On Woman. You're probably Hello. not listening. What if you are? I like to live in that world. I like to imagine that when you shout out those people after shouting out Sophie and I, that mm -hmm. they're here too and responding and you're choosing to cut their voices out of the show as a power move. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're on the Zoom call right now. Yeah, they are. They're on every Zoom call. Yeah, um, which is kind of weird that we make On Woman be on every Zoom call. It is. But, you know, I mean, if On Woman wants a podcast... She's got to put in the time. Mm -hmm. And she also has to start taking our patented magic berries, just $73 a day, 
which increase your vitality and uh, chemicals. Yeah, more chemicals. Well, the vital force index goes up by seventeen point nine. The VFI, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, okay, so today is part two in our seventeen-part series discussing George Romero's classic nineteen eighty-one film, Night Riders. Now, my favorite part of the movie, Margaret, Mm -hmm. uh, is when he beats the shit out of his friend nearly to death with a series of medieval weapons for trying to stop him from fighting while he has a serious lung injury. Ed Harris. We're talking about Ed Harris. Yeah, yeah. Main character of the George Romero 1981 film Knight Riders. It is a consensual fight, I will say. It is, all it of the fights the are consensual, except oh, well, for when he beats the, up that cop. police officer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he kind uh, of consented it. by having been a bastard earlier. If you have not watched the 1981 George Romero film Knight Riders, which I had not until last night, you owe it to yourself. Or this podcast is about the Spokane free speech fight and the IWW and free speech fights more broadly. Where we last left our heroes, they were mostly in jail. But That's now they're going to win, which is it's not every week I get to tell a story where the good guys win. Yeah. This section is called The Victory. It's not even ironic. In the end, news about just how awful Spokane was and just how corrupt the city was and how brutal its cops were and all that got around. And like cops actually managed to get fired or asked to resign just over how public because they were always this brutal. Right. But Mm -hmm. this whole campaign actually brought a lot of attention to what was happening. And media across the country was just like talking shit on Spokane and Spokane was not happy about it. The taxpayers in the city weren't happy about it because they were paying $1,000 a week to house all the hobos, which is about $32,000 today. And workers in other cities, including other unions, not just the IWW, started boycotting everything produced by the Spokane merchants. Um, and also mm. lawsuits that- from the Wobblies and other city, other folks in the city just started piling up against the city because they would do things like bring out fire hoses and spray people with fire hoses and stuff, which is like an unpopular thing. Uh, Most people prefer not to be sprayed with fire hoses. um, And some people sue about it. Other unions started showing up in solidarity. The Western Federation of Miners and uh, Coeur d'Alene, they were among the people refusing all the goods coming out of Spokane. And the local AFL actually started getting on board eventually. They voted unanimously to demand the speech ban be revoked. The local media, besides like one conservative paper, was supporting them. About... 12,000 townspeople were represented in court through various people saying, this is bullshit. Like, get rid of this fucking bullshit. Like, bring back free speech. Mm -hmm. And in March 1910, about six months in, five months in, the city is beat. They revoke the ordinance. They release the prisoners. They revoke the business licenses of more than half of the different employment agencies the ones that they like consider to be sketchier, the city considers to be sketchier. Unfortunately, this actually leaves most of the major players, but it does allow, well, one, people to organize it against it more effectively. And then also like there's just other ways to get jobs besides being sold fictitious jobs. Um, Yeah. And the conspirators, however, they're still facing time, right? Because their charges weren't just disorderly conduct. They were, you know, conspiracy to break a law or whatever. The governor actually pardoned them and the governor pardoned them because the IWW was like, hey, you should let our people go. And the city was like, no, we don't want to. They're they're, they're criminals. Yeah. And the IWW was like, should we just do all of this again? Should we just bring everyone <laughs> back here? And the city's like, or the governor's like, let's pardon you. Hmm. And oh. 
three of the worst cops were forced to resign uh, despite their protests. They were like, we don't want to resign. They're like, you're resigning. Yeah. And maybe most importantly, more important than even the job buying shit as far as I'm concerned, women's rights organizations, both radical and mainstream, uh, sympathetic to the Wobblies and ones that fucking hated the Wobblies, forced the jail to hire a, a matron, I believe, with the purpose of ending the sex slavery that was happening mm -hmm. in the jail. And a final note on the AFL, the racist union. There was a major split between the leadership and the rank and file, um, which is a good argument for everyone as leadership, like in the IWW. The AFL heads, like, they were like, hell yeah, this, this free speech fight, it's going to destroy the Wobblies. Like, thank God, because, you know, they're competing for the same workers, right? Um, the rank and file, however, just poured money and support into the free speech fights. And a ton of them, like the Shingle Makers Union, just quit the AFL and affiliated with the Wobblies instead. And then, <laughs> after everyone got out of jail, this part is left out of every history I've read except one random note in one of the people's, like, this guy who was part of it in the, you know, 1909, he's like writing about it in the 50s, and he throws it in at the end. After everyone gets out of jail, someone, somebody just kills the chief of police with a shotgun in the street. And the murder is never solved. And the the judge who had convicted all the Wobblies, the judge who hated the Wobblies, he's like, you know, that cop had a lot of enemies. It really could have been anyone. <laughs> and throughout the entire fight, there was all kinds of other sabotage and stuff happening. The Wobblies were like, no, that's not us. It just seems to happen when we're around. Um, it was almost certainly Wobblies who were doing this stuff. Uh, they were smashing out the windows of employment agencies. And at one point, as far as I can tell, again, this is like one of those things where it's like included in a random note from the time that a train car with like 70 arrested Wobblies derailed uh, and the Wobblies were blamed for it, but no one was actually specifically blamed for it. But like, I guess theoretically, like someone was like, I know how to free everyone off that trail jail car. I will just derail it. But officially, the IWW only takes credit for the civil disobedience and and it's a kind of a, a beautiful and interesting method of diversity of tactics. They, you know, only claim certain actions, but other actions are happening. And the other most interesting thing that might have to do with how they funded the entire thing, at one point, well, during all of this, all of the cops in town are busy dealing with the Wobblies. And so, quote, thieves reaped a bounty in the suburbs. Um, and so the IWW might have had some clever ways about how to fund the free speech fight. They engaged in 30 of these fights. As you were talking about earlier, right, they saw this replicable tactic and they just re replicated it. Yeah. Between 1908 and 1916, there were free speech fights in United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti. No. Uh, Seattle, Vancouver, Missoula, Fresno, San Diego, San Pedro, Aberdeen, Seattle again, Wenatchee, Walla Walla, Everett, Sioux City, Mobile, Denver, Grand Junction, Patterson, Newcastle, Old Forge, Duluth, Minneapolis, Victoria, Superior, Kansas City, another city named Aberdeen, New Bedford, and Minote, or Minot. Jeez. Yeah. They... These are a lot of areas, too, that you wouldn't, today you would never think to, there would be, like, progressive protests of any kind there. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, Spokane, Washington is not where I would, like, go to get vegan food, you know? I mean, if you're a vegan in Spokane, I'm sorry. It's certainly you wouldn't imagine Spokane as like the nexus of like a national pan labor yeah. solidarity movement fighting the cops. Yeah, that's like specifically anti-racist and like 
And I mean, and that's one of the things that's so interesting about this period, yeah. right? You're talking about all of these fucking lumberjacks and shit, which is not normally who you immediately think of, especially if you live on the East Coast. Not a normally, normally who you think of when you think of leftists, you know? But I, I also think part of that is because, because it used to be, actually. Like, there's a reason Blair Mountain, ha Blair Mountain didn't fucking happen. Battle of Blair Mountain wasn't a bunch of people who lived in, yeah. like, inner city New York or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, it was it was a bunch of fucking coal-ass miners in the middle of goddamn nowhere, Virginia. Yeah, West Virginia. Um, yeah, West Virginia. Very defensive. Well, I, I don't, that, I don't, I don't consider, home. <laughs> I don't consider the other Virginia to be real. Yeah, fair um, enough. No, no, there's West Virginia and, and then the Atlantic Ocean starts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm a Richardson or Rich Richmond Richmond truther. I kind of botched that joke by botching the name of the capital of the wrong Virginia. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, like, but no, one of the like missing. I don't know. We I, I would like to see this done well. I, I I say this knowing we should probably do something on this. But how the South was conquered by the reactionaries. Yeah. Like how not not just the South is the wrong way to put this. Sorry. How rural America was conquered by reactionaries. Um. Because that was the fact that it is now, quote unquote, red is not the way it always was, nor was it uh, inevitable that it would go that way. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and I don't think it needs to stay that way either. You know, no, no. Yeah, um, that's a, a critical postscript. Yeah. I put all my my ATMs in one basket. ATM ATVs. I don't even own ATV. I live on enough land that I should have an ATV, but I don't. Yeah. But oh. yeah, no, I mean, as yeah, as someone who lives rural, I like. I, I hate this conception, you know, that yeah. everyone who lives rural is, is right wing and, and everyone who works with their hands as right wing is the, the worst thing we've ever ceded to the right. Um, yeah. Yep. But I'm going to talk about some more of these free speech fights. Unfortunately, you get kind of diminishing returns with a lot of replicating tactics, right? And the fight in Fresno is the most important of these next uh, fights. So the fight in Fresno... Uh, Frank Little, who's the guy who trolled by reading the Declaration of Independence up in Spokane, he'd been organizing, quote unquote, unskilled fruit workers in the San Joaquin Valley. Then a contractor tried to build a dam, but he couldn't find any exploitable workers because the IWW had been organizing everyone. And so he threw a big fit because he was like, but I want to exploit workers. And so by May 1910, the cops started breaking up IWW meetings and arrested Wobblies for vagrancy, which is a really weird law when you think about it, vagrancy. Yeah, you're not allowed to not have anything. Yeah, you're not allowed to occupy lands that, based on our shared conception of the nation, you own part of, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. You're not allowed to just like take up space. You have to have a house that you rent or pay for. Um, it's kind of you know here in the great state of Oregon, um, one of the two right-thinking states. We make it illegal <laughs> for people to pump their own gasoline. Mm -hmm. um, in order so that people have to have a job, like basically it provides this kind of constant supply of jobs that are not particularly difficult pumping gasoline for people. And in much the same way, vagrancy laws are the government being like, Hey, landlords, now there's no alternative to you unless yeah. you can buy a house, which don't worry, we're going to make hard to do real soon. Yeah. Yeah. So Frank Little, he's one of the people who gets arrested. Uh, I don't know if he's specifically up on vagrancy charges or just being a wobbly, or I suspect the cops don't know what they're arresting him for. He telephones the Wobbly's national office in Chicago. I think it's like his like phone call from jail. I don't know how that really did or didn't exist in 1910. Yeah, but... I don't know if you got, geez, because they barely had phones. I know. Um, he calls Chicago. So he asks for a campaign, and then 
an army of thousands of hobos from all over the country, fill the jail. And mainstream papers just couldn't figure it out. Why the fuck are these people risking everything? They're traveling thousands of miles just to get arrested for a cause that doesn't directly affect them. And the answer is that mainstream papers don't understand solidarity. Because uh, this could be you, right? You know, you're, you're going and doing this thing because this affects you as well. And so they, they fill up the jails. Crowds gather outside. They start giving speeches through the bars. The cops bring out fire hoses full of freezing water and they... The people inside the jails put mattresses up against the windows and then like reach over to scream and tell like speeches out to the crowd outside before they get sprayed with hoses more. And they don't stop until the ice water is knee high in their cell. Finally, March 11th, 1911, more fucking hobos just keep coming and the city gives up and restores free speech and lets everyone go. And and there's all this like stuff that we're going to talk a little bit about when sometimes they use violence, the IWW using some violence and other labor unions in particular using some violence. But, and so people, whenever they use violence, it's this big fucking deal. But then the like, and some of their rhetoric was very, you know, militant or whatever. But the other side was saying all kinds of shit about them. Like specifically mainstream papers would say things like a 1912 editorial for the San Diego Tribune said, hanging is none too good for them. They would be much better dead, for they are absolutely useless in the human economy. They are waste material of creation and should be drained off into the sewer of oblivion, there to rot in cold obstruction like any other excrement. Which is a very poetic way mm. of saying, we're going to liquidate you and murder everyone you've ever met. The, the Fresno Herald and Democrat, which is the name of a paper in 1910, printed, For men to come here with the express purpose of creating trouble, a whipping post and a cat of nine tails, well seasoned by being soaked in salt water, is none too harsh a treatment for the peace breakers. So they've they've given it some thought about all of the things that they want to do to the hobos. Much like Ed Harris, the actor guy, whipped yeah. himself. Uh, <laughs> he did. This movie does include a naked Ed Harris, who is like 30 and a snack in this movie, by the way, whipping himself one-handed with a reed while wading naked into a lake. It's, yeah. It's pretty good. More than once. More than, More once. than once. More than once. George Romero really needed you to see that. Yeah. Yeah. And George Romero is right. Mm -hmm. The San Diego fight, uh, it happens in 1912. And none of these things are happening in a vacuum, right? Um, the labor movement had been fighting fucking tooth and nail for decades at this point in the U.S., in Southern California, the International Association of Bridge and Structural Iron Workers, who are thankfully just called the IW, they're, they're no one to fuck with, this particular union. Their, their job, these bridge and structural iron workers, involves dynamite. So they have a lot of dynamite. So their protests involve dynamite. Iron workers are generally unskilled and treated like shit, and they're fired all the time. They're treated like seasonal labor. And so... <laughs> The fighting over unionizing these shops is so fierce in Los Angeles that the IW blew up a total of 110 ironworks between 1906 and 1911. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is represented as the largest domestic terrorist campaign in U.S. history. Although, in 110 bombings of non-union workplaces, they injured or killed zero people. Mm -hmm. And... They were one of the last unions of any power in Los Angeles. San Francisco was a huge labor hub, but basically Los Angeles wasn't. And the anti-union rich fucks were too powerful down there, including the Los Angeles Times, which was like run on a very anti-union platform. They went on strike for, a, 
They wanted 50 cents an hour, which is about uh, $13 or so today. The government responded by banning pickets. The strikes continued anyway, the city government. About 500 picketers were arrested for free speech violations for picketing. And the IW at the time, they had this guy named Herbert Hocken who was in charge of organizing the dynamiting. Like your official union organizer job is you're the guy in charge of um, blowing things up. And which is a good job. But if you want a good job, you should try podcasting. Mm -hmm. Podcasting, the thing you can only do if you spend $7,200 for a one-day conference at the Airport Hilton in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The Airport Hilton in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the only place that would let us hold a convention. <laughs> and um, who is uh, who's providing That's the food -tax, for by that? The way. I can't remember. Um, well, it's BYOB, but we do take out $2,400 per day for meals. Oh, right. For our meals. My, my meals. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I, mean, I was hoping it was I our have, meals. I have a rare. I mean, you're, you're welcome Just to watch. Just Robert. I have a rare no skin condition us, magpie. where Nothing. if I if I don't wrap filet mignon in original copies of the United States Constitution, um, I get I break out in hives, and that that's pretty that's expensive. True. Yeah, there's not a lot of those left. I've eaten most of them. Yeah, and also these other advertisers. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. 
Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric. Cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. And we are back and we are talking about how unions used to have jobs like the guy in charge of dynamite for us. The problem is, is that when you have a traditionally organized union that has leaders, etc., and you put one guy in charge of the dynamiting and he goes corrupt, like Herbert Hawken was corrupt, it's really bad. He starts embezzling the dynamite money and instead of putting it into dynamite, he puts it into himself. So, Well, that's... Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair enough. Uh, mm-hmm. He'll come back into the story in a little bit. And so they decide that the LA Times needs to get got because they're printing too many anti-union things and they need a good dynamiting. Mm-hmm. But they don't trust Herbert Hawken anymore. They're starting to figure out that if you give that money, guy money for dynamite, you don't get nearly as much dynamite as you want. Yeah. So two socialist Irish-American brothers, the McNamara brothers, and they have basically the same name. One's JJ and one's JB. I'm just going to call them the McNamara brothers. You you didn't know if your kids were going to live very long then. So if you felt like you had a good name, you could give it to like three of them at a time. Yeah. Pretty, I think pretty confident John, it wouldn't be a problem. James, like, yeah, the same fucking name. Mm-hmm. Um, And they're like, all right, well, we're in the IWW. And I mean, not sorry, not the IWW, the regular IW. The And they're Industrial like, workers. OK, we've got this. We can do the dynamiting. One of them is the conspirator who helps organize it, and one of them is the bomber. The younger brother, he gets, he gets the bomber job. He puts 16 sticks of dynamite in a suitcase. He sets it up on a timer to go off at 1 a.m. on October 1st, 1910, and he puts it near some flammable ink at the printing press at the um, L.A. Times. He then gets on the next train out of town for San Francisco, so he isn't around when the bomb goes off. Oh, and before that, he also set bombs at two people's houses, the anti-union Times editor and the guy in charge of the anti-union, the Merchant and Manufacturers Association, the, the thing like the other thing where all the people get together and fight unions. But, Robert, did you know that there's a downside to explosives? Well, I've heard this, Margaret. I mean, I, I would say the, the clearest one is that when you use them, you can't use them a second time. Mm-hmm. Which is really the great, which is why I'm working on, when I open up my Willy Wonka style bomb factories of the world, mm-hmm. we're working on the everlasting gobstoppers of C4. Mm-hmm. Um, the only problem is that when we tested them out last time, uh, they they kind of created a sort of gray goo apocalypse situation in which they continued a chain of detonations that ended all life. Yeah, we had to cut over the, on the multiverse and, and to a different timeline. We, we did. Right? We had to carve out a multiverse. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you can't make an omelet without killing... I know, but but in the Billions. old one, we all got to drive around hot dog trucks. It was it was awesome. Oh, and climate change wasn't a thing. Oh, yeah, Sorry yeah, about yeah, that, yeah, everybody, totally, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. We, when we trucks. jumped into this one, we were quite surprised because yeah. those hot dog trucks were electric as shit. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, this one's worse in every way. There's also a Great Britain in this one, which is, seems like a real problem. Oh, I thought that was a joke. They're really no, no, no. It's real. Yeah, so did I. Wait, do they have a wait? Do they have a queen? Yeah, they, they sure do. It, which is really funny because the actual Wales, which rules all of Western Europe in the original timeline, mm-hmm. has a has like a joke queen on holidays. Right. Um, but but here the real Great Britain. Um, oh, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry for the gobstopper bomb that killed the good universe. It's okay. Well, if Great Britain no longer has a queen, you know that we've hopped into a different timeline. So Yeah, yeah, which means the gobstoppers went wrong again. We, yeah. we're, we're still tweaking those bad boys. Yeah. Um, don't, don't worry, though. I mean, you know, the nice thing about this universe is that there were an extra 12 good seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation. So unless the queen recently died in the universe you inhabit yeah uh go watch really season 16 is when the show starts oh absolutely yeah. yeah and i don't want to give any spoilers <laughs> so the McNamara brothers they're playing with explosives and the problem with playing with explosives besides changing timelines uh, well actually the problem is changing timelines you often change to a timeline where the wrong people die mm-hmm. uh and this is what happened this time they set these bombs up and they set it up near a gas main. So they're manning, they're trying to like destroy some property and like stick it to the man and be like, you know, hey, we blew up part of your printing press and no one got hurt. They they destroy the entire building in a hell of fire because the gas main explodes and catches on fire and the building burns down. And the other thing that they didn't know, because they didn't do their fucking homework, is that there were newspaper workers there that night because they were putting out a special edition of the newspaper because of like some horse race or something. And so they blow up the entire fucking three-story building. They kill twenty-one people. Uh, Oof! Yeah. Oop! But oop! Not this is this is not the cool people doing cool stuff part of this. Yeah. And they as as for the bombs that they put outside the assholes' houses, uh, they wound the timers too tightly, and they took too long before they went off, and they were safely discovered and disarmed. It didn't take too long to track down these brothers. The younger brother, the bomber, he confessed as part of a plea deal that got him life in prison. But basically, the plea deal was my brother doesn't get life in prison. Um, he's like, I will say I did it all. You give my brother 15 years instead of life in prison. And he took that deal. And his confession, he said, it was my intention to injure the building and scare the owners. I sincerely regret that these unfortunate men lost their lives. If the giving of my life would bring them back, I would gladly give it. And that trial, basically, or that bombing, rather, basically killed the L.A. labor movement for about 40 years. So, note to self or other people. The older brother, he gets out of prison. He goes right back to labor organizing. The the younger brother dies dies in prison. And, yeah, bombs don't always work like you think they're going to work. Oh, and the guy who had been running the bombing campaign prior, Hawken, the one who was embezzling, it turns out he'd been a paid informant for the business association the entire time. Oh, cool. Yeah. On the other hand, he didn't testify against the McNamara brothers because, at least according to a New York Times article from that from back then, he was like, basically, are you fucking kidding me? If I testify, the unionists will literally murder me. There is no way I will testify against them. Um, so even his paid informing only went so far. This is not the IWW that I was just talking about. It's mm-hmm. the IW, not to be confused. But the reason it's important to what we're talking about is this is the context that less than a year later, 
the Wobblies step into, and the Wobblies are, go to San Diego for a free speech fight. Um, which also, uh, it turns out, and back me up on this, Sophie, um, uh, San Diego is not part of Los Angeles. It is not part of Los Angeles. Yeah, which is interesting because I thought. Well, we call it West LA a lot back in in Los Angeles, which Nobody I call. Nobody did that because it's south. The of far Los the far south bay. It is. Um, it is two to three hours south of yeah. Los Angeles. Great food. Great San beaches. Diego, better known as Little Sacramento. No, nobody says mm-hmm. that. It is a lovely place that is very expensive. But Ensenada's nearby. Yeah, the food, the f- can't can't understate mm-hmm. food. Excellent. Yep, and that's where they went. Southern California, just not For the food. Yes. Uh, it is not a great place to be a union organizer around this time. In January 1912, San Diego is like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's not even let them talk. And they ban free speech in Midtown. All of Midtown. The ostensible reason is the same as it always was. Public gatherings might block traffic. Uh, in fact, the actual event that will be familiar to modern listeners that sparked the entire thing is when a rich asshole tried to run his car through a crowd of protesters. Yay. Uh, the crowd stopped him and slashed his tires, and he was like, Dear the state, I was prevented from driving my automobile through a crowd of people. Please make the people not exist. And the state's like, yeah, that's chill. So, a free speech league forms, and it's not full of alt-right types. It's anarchists, socialists, wobblies, most of whom are anarchists or socialists, and then some of the less radical unionists from the AFL, and then the single taxers who are really interesting. I only halfway understand them. They're kind of somewhere between a libertarian and a socialist, but not in a libertarian socialist way. They're like free market combined with strong welfare state, I think. So I guess they're the, no, they're not really all right at all. They're actually just their own weird wingnut thing. The IWW in San Diego had already been around for a while. Their big success was that they'd organized the Mexican workers of the gas and electric company a few years earlier. But of course, many of the radical Mexicans left in San Diego left in 1910 to go back to Mexico to fight for that future friend of the pod, the Mexican Revolution. 2,000 or 5,000 of them, depending on who you ask, they go off marching in defense of the band right away. They're like, oh, we're not allowed to march. Fuck you, we're marching. Hundreds of them wind up in jail. They're facing felony conspiracy charges. I think hundreds of them are facing felony conspiracy charges. And then when people try to have solidarity demonstrations, they're broken up by future friend of your pod, fire hoses. I feel like there's got to have been fire hoses on your podcast. <laughs> at this point. I mean, we've talked about definitely protesters getting yeah. hit with fire hoses. Yeah. Yeah. And this leads to one of the more interesting. OK, so basically, the like, all right, the Wobblies are like, all right, we know how to do this thing. Right. And this time it's not just them, but they're a huge part of it. And they're like, all right, we know how to do this. We're going to get hobos from all over the place. And so 120 hobos. Uh, wobblies ride trains down from Portland, Oregon, and they make it. There to the, we go. Yeah, they get to the Oregon-California border, or they get to Ashland, and mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh shit, we'll get busted by the train cops if we keep going." Uh, I think even the the union workers on the trains were like, "Oh, you'll get busted if you keep going." So they get out and they start walking. They walk through a snowstorm in the mountains. They walk two hundred fucking forty four miles on foot, and they're nice. like a self organized small army on the march they have different committees they have doctors with them they have security there's people up ahead scouting for like train lines and shit 
Locals give them money and food. They hold rallies everywhere they go. It basically becomes this tour walking around being like, this is what's up. And they're spreading the word of the eight-hour workday, which is still not actually won by this point. Uh, they're talking about how decent labor conditions are like not such a bad <laughs> Not thing. really won by this point either. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? I didn't wake up at seven to work one job before working on this job. Yeah. Um, and so, and they're this fucking hobo army and they're off to restore free speech in California. But they, um, they got the timing wrong. Walking 244 well, miles, it takes a while when you go through the mountains. By the time they get to Chico, the fight is over. Ah, and now they're in Chico, which just makes it worse. I know, I know. That's right, that's right, Chico. Yeah, where I think our publisher town. is based. No, it's it's a nice, it's a very nice place. I mean, it's doomed because of the fires, but it's very pretty. Unlike that safe place. Um, yeah. Yeah, wherever you live, that's certainly a safe place. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, totally. Nothing to worry about. Just listen to history. Mm -hmm. So, or make your future as a pocket note. Okay, so, but there's still plenty of people who come from all over the fucking country and pour into San Diego. And they all get arrested, as is the plan. And the mm -hmm. conditions in jail are fucking terrible, as is what everyone's used to. People are sleeping on concrete floors. There's no beds. Uh, at least one of the arrestees dies from lack of medical care. And then something worse happens that will also be familiar to the modern re modern reader, listener, whatever. Capitalist vigilante groups start patrolling the streets made up of random citizens and off-duty cops. And they start kidnapping people and beating the shit out of them and leaving them outside city limits. They even, like, a mainstream newspaper sides on the side of free speech for some odd reason. And so these vigilante groups, like, kidnap the head of the newspaper and beat the shit out of him and... Take him out of town. Friend of the pod, Emma Goldman, shows up, the anarchist orator and free speech activist. And here's what she saw. The vigilantes raided the IWW headquarters, broke up the furniture, and arrested a large number of the men they found there. They were taken to Sorrento, to a place where a flagpole had been erected. There, the IWWs were forced to kneel, kiss the flag, and sing the national anthem. As the incentive to quicker action, one of the vigilantes would slap them on the back, which was the signal for a general beating. After these proceedings, the men were loaded into automobiles and sent to San Onfre, near the county line, placed in a cattle pen with armed guards over them, and kept without food or drink for 18 hours. The following morning, they were taken out in groups of five and compelled to run the gauntlet. As they passed between the double line of vigilantes, they were belabored with clubs and blackjacks. Then, the flag-kissing episode was repeated, after which they were told to hike up the track and never come back. They reached Los Angeles after a tramp of several days, sore, hungry, penniless, and in a deplorable physical state. That wasn't very nice. Things they did. Yeah. Nope. Emma Goldman had a boyfriend. Emma Goldman had a boyfriend who was a hobo and a doctor named Dr. Ben Reitman. <sighs> doctor, oh God. That's a TV premise right there. Oh, yeah. Um, and actually, uh -huh. uh, I believe the TV podcast anarchist hobo doctor dr ben reitman we're still workshopping the title is the primary sponsor of this show yes the the show which exists in one of the alternate realities that we have not everlasting gobstoppered into an endless series of explosions wouldn't it be awful if instead of like choosing all the ads based on like things that we actually supported if they were just like randomly chosen by machines and then just like fed to our listeners 
Yeah, you know, one of the realities Horrible. we're going to have to jump to if uh, this next gobstopper experiment fails does it that way. But don't worry. I'm sure we won't end up there. No, no. God, that would mean it went all wrong again. Anyway, here's ads that we all totally support and care about deeply. <laughs> Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric. Cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. Okay, so our hobo doctor, Dr. Ben Reitman. Overall, he kind of has a good run of it. I don't know, I guess the date I'm a Goldman, that feels like bonus, right? Um, yeah. He doesn't have a good run of it in San Diego. He was kidnapped out of his hotel room and tarred and feathered. Oh, well. Uh, yeah, he had good. the letters IWW burned into his butt with a lighter. Uh, there was some sexual violence I won't get into. Yeah. He was forced to kiss the flag, sing the anthem, and run the Ooh. gauntlet before they let him go. It's cool because right around the same period, 
people are also doing this on behalf of Tsar Nicholas, you know, beating them and carrying out acts of sexual violence and forcing them to to kiss the flag or kiss symbols of the monarchy and stuff. It's neat that all these bootlickers are the same. You know, I hadn't heard that, and it makes just so complete sense. It's just so, yeah, like, yep, completely tracks. Yeah, that's like right after the 1905. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, not that far. Yeah. And so the, the governor tries to send people to investigate the vigilante groups, but the city council refuses to cooperate with the investigation, and they just, like, stonewall the fucking governor from investigating what's going on in their city and succeed at that. The police break into the Wobbly Hall on May 7th, 1912, and they just kill a guy, a guy named Joseph Mikulish. And the Wobblies drive the cops. After they kill this guy, the Wobblies drive the cops out of the hall with a hail of gunfire, and they get into a gunfight with the cops. Which is to say, nonviolence is and was a tactic for them, not a moral stance. Like, they are choosing to nonviolently approach and try and solve these problems, but they're all also armed and shit, you know? Uh, yeah. And I... I want to quote from one of the arrested Wobblies, Jack White. Uh, he got six months for conspiracy after the death of his fellow Wobbly. And I'm literally just quoting it because I think it's cool when people say badass shit to court. There are only a few words that I care to say, and the court will not mistake them for legal argument, for I am not acquainted with the phraseology of the bar nor the language common to the courtroom. You have become blind and deaf to the rights of man to pursue life and happiness, and you have crushed those rights so that the sacred right of property shall be preserved. Then you tell me to respect the law. I do not. I did violate the law, as I will violate every one of your laws and still come before you and say, to hell with the courts, because I believe that my right to life is more sacred than the sacred right to property that you and your kind so ably defend. I do not tell you this in the expectation of getting justice, but to show my contempt for the machinery of law and justice as represented by this and every other court. I just like that. It's, yeah, it's neat. I like that too. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting because I have seen this fight depicted as a win and a loss by Wobblies and other like labor reporters, like both at the time and now. Eventually, the vigilante justice started to peter out over the summer of 1912, but it petered out because they'd driven everyone off. Everyone was in jail or like yeah. fucking running scared. Because nonviolence as a strategy had been effective against the state, but it was not effective against the vigilantes. Eventually, I believe free speech was restored. People were let out of prison. None of the vigilantes were ever brought up on charges. I think it was mostly the governor's intervention at the end, but I can't remember. And I got really confusing reports and like all of the different pieces that I read about this. So none of the vigilantes are ever brought up on charges, even though they're the ones who are doing the actual stuff. As soon as they were released, they went right back to organizing. But I think they didn't really try soapboxing in San Diego after that. And so they basically, at this point, it's starting to not go so well. And I kind of hate to go with the bummer thing, but I think the way to describe this tactic is to keep describing this tactic and see how it, the diminishing returns they got for it. So I'm going to tell one yeah. more of these free speech stories. Everett, Washington, which is just north of Seattle, in late 1916, the Shingle Workers Union was on strike at their sawmill. And I think these is, it might be the same Shingle Makers Union that had quit the AFL and joined the IWW during the Spokane fight. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. uh, shingles were invented in the Northwest. Like, literally, I, oh, really? I used to live in a place called Shingletown in California. Whoa. I don't know if it's where they were invented or it's just where they get, like, made them the most. Yeah. But, like, 
we have a, I don't know, I, I have never been bored enough to look too deeply into the shingle industry and how it spread, but I was told by people at bars in Shingletown that they were the town that invented the shingles. Yeah. I'm certain that's not accurate because nothing I heard in those bars was, but also the town was named after shingles, so there's got to be some history there. Yeah, and it could have been Shingleton, and I'm a little disappointed in them. Yeah, it could have been, yeah. So the, the, the Shingleton worker, well, I guess the Everett shinglers. Yeah. The shinglers are on strike at their sawmill. And the IWW starts agitating in solidarity because free speech is like not the thing that the IWW is about, right? Like it's interesting because it's like yeah. there are these huge fights and they're the most important free speech fights in U.S. history as far as I can tell. And they're like this tiny portion of the stuff that the IWW does. But they open up a union hall in Everett and they start soapboxing. And the cops are like, nope, fuck this. And instead of just like arresting them and being like, oh, we're going to fill up the jails. They're like, no, we've seen this. We've seen how that goes. The cops, they cut out the vigilante middleman and they just start beating the shit out of everyone. They just start breaking their bones and throwing them out of town. So on October 30th, 41 Wobblies show up from Seattle. They're all like lumberjacks and shit. And they're rounded up by the sheriff and deputies. And they're forced to run the gauntlet between spiked bats this time. The next day, locals come to where the gauntlet had been and are like, there's an awful lot of blood on the grass. We're not convinced that this is above board what happened. 2,000 locals show up to a rally demanding that it all gone too far. And this is another thing that I keep thinking about with all of this. It's like, it's not the hobos versus the town, you know? It's the hobos versus the city government with the town yeah. divided and mostly divided yeah. along class lines. I mean, we, you know, I'm saying this on the day when I think there's just been an action to try to stop the sweep of a homeless encampment. Like, this is this is still going on, and it's really easy. It's interesting the way in which the these kind of like itinerant populations with little access to money, um, but a lot of time and mobility mm -hmm. are used continuously in different ways, but continuously. Um, as a foil by the ruling class in order to split up the working class, right? You have them as strike breakers. Yeah. You have them as scapegoats. But like whatever the thing is, these are people who are both easy to make use of um, in in a, a couple of different ways, but the propaganda being one of the main ones. Yeah, the like outside agitators who've come to do everything. You saying or? the outside agitators, but also the you know the reason that uh like like right now Portland and San Diego actually are two main big cities with a problem with this. You you have these in Los Angeles, you have these huge aggressive sweeps against the homeless, along alongside speeches and advocacy by political leaders who are all backed by business associations. Mm -hmm. Um, that these people need to be forced off the street, you know, incarcerated. A couple of states admitted a felony to camp outside. Um. And it's part what it is, is that since COVID, a lot of things have gotten worse. Uh, a lot of people have found themselves in more desperate, desperate straits. A lot of people have long term health issues. A lot of businesses haven't recovered. And we could blame that on the fact that all of the wrong decisions were made and supported by the people who were backed by moneyed interests and business associations and the like to respond to that pandemic. Or it can be like, no, what's wrong with all these cities is there's people camping. In yeah. Totally. And that's what made them dangerous and sketchy and unsafe. And so we have to arrest the homeless. Yeah. 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 So on November 5th, uh, 1916, 250 more Wobblies from Seattle head north on two passenger boats. And they're singing as they go because they're Wobblies and Wobblies rule. And everywhere they go, like dwarves, they sing songs about the Lonely Mountain. Um, mm -hmm. 
At least that's what I would sing if I was them. Actually, that's a hard song to sing. They mostly sang really simple songs. Some of their hits include Hallelujah, I'm a Bum. Uh, I'm just going to go with that one. It's one of my favorites. And so they had north on two passenger boats. 200 armed vigilantes alongside the sheriff. Um, and I, I believe they, they're deputized at this point. So you can actually, I think, just like, call them cops. Along with the sheriff, they've been tipped off by Pinkertons, who I think had infiltrated the IWW. Mm-hmm. And the first boat, the Verona, where we lay our scene. Now, uh, the nice. Yeah, thanks, thanks. I I know one Shakespeare. Um, I got it. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it was a real deep cut. I don't know if you've heard of this play called Romeo and Juliet. No, but you know you have all of the uh, uh, all of the the real punk, you know, mm. fringe fringe media. That's that that's your specialty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the Shakespeare guy. I feel like he's gonna blow up in a year or two. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, if not, we got that time machine and those gobstoppers. We can make them blow up. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, we have in a couple of realities. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as long as I mean, the important thing is that he was stopped before he wrote that one play. Oh, much ado about nothing. Yeah, yeah fuck that yeah. play. Whew, glad in most Crash. timelines that never came out. No, that never came out. Um, and we got three sequels to Night Riders. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Utopia, I believe we call that yeah. timeline. Okay, so mm-hmm. when the boat shows up, the vigilantes just fucking open fire. They're just like, we're just going to shoot the shit out of this fucking passenger boat. Uh, it was proven in court that they had no idea if they were shooting wobblies. Like, they were like, there's, <laughs> there's no way they would have known. You, they, they, like, during the trial, they, like, went and recreated it, and they were like, oh, yeah, nope, you can't see well enough before they open fire. The wobs shot back. Uh, I think they were outgunned. When the shooting cleared 10 minutes later, at least five Wobblies were dead, 31 were injured, and on the vigilante side, two were dead and 19 were wounded. Yeah. And the Verona turned around Christ. and sailed the fuck back. And they turned, they they passed the second boat, and they were like, no, no, turn around. You're just going to get shot. Yeah. Um, and then when they landed, all the Wobblies on board were arrested. 74 of them were charged with the murder of the vigilantes who had been shooting at them. The trial. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, the trial didn't last too long, though. It lasted two months, and the defense hinged on the ideas that vigilantes had opened fire on randomly into passenger boats. Yeah. And also, once again, see the Haymarket episode, the vigilantes had actually shot each other. Uh, because they were just shooting randomly and had like were in each other's line of fire and were completely untrained and didn't like set up any kind of firing line. Yeah. Uh, and this the actual shocking part of this is that all seventy four defendants were acquitted. Well, that shit. Yeah, that actually is very surprising. I know. I know. Um, good. The vigilantes, of course, were never put on trial. And. The prosecution made a big fucking deal out of how all the Wobblies were all evil bomb-throwing anarchists, and all across the country, the the IWW was painted as a domestic terrorist threat. And this was, I think, the last of the IWW's free speech fights. It was basically the, like, you try the tactic, and eventually the state's like, no, we're just going to start shooting you. You know? And I don't know if you knew this, but 1917 wasn't a great time to be a leftist in the United States of America. (sighs) Yeah, I mean, in some ways. In other ways, at least, like, stuff was getting done. Okay, fair enough. The The U.S. joins World War One. IWW that part's bad. moved a lot of its organizing to opposing the draft. You get the first Red Scare in 1919, which is kind of more your, your wheelhouse than mine. 
mm-hmm. the the IWW holds on. They're they're heavily targeted by the first green scare and it like fucks them up real bad, but they hold on. They're actually their numbers go up in the twenties. But yeah. by um by the end of the twenties, their numbers are going down. And it's not because their message was bad. It's not even that their organizing methods are bad. It's that they're like, this is the tiniest tip of the iceberg of the repression that they faced. Mm-hmm. And I also don't know if you knew this. The U.S. government hasn't been historically very friendly to socialists and anarchists and communists. Mm. And then also in the 20s, the IWW had a split in 1924, I think, where a lot of the former Wobblies joined the Communist Party because they prefer centralization to decentralization. Yeah. And but the IWW, a hundred fucking years later, it still exists. Uh, It's still organizing and they still do more work with like gig workers and other people who are harder to organize in traditional means. Um, and whether it happens under their name or not, I think their ideas are good. Like, you know, there is a little bit of a critique of like modern IWW. It doesn't have to be it. I think it could absolutely become what it once was, but it's like, you know, sometimes we get caught up in our grand history and like forget about the present a little bit. Well, yeah. And sometimes I, I think like there's a, a mistake between reading all this history and thinking about how rad the IWW was and then assuming that like the solution to our current like problems is to rebuild exactly that rather than to take lessons from it which is not to say that, like I know a bunch of people who are in the IWW they do great stuff um, it made a lot of things easier for freelance journalists mm-hmm. but they're clearly not the organization still that was doing all this right? right they just aren't and that's that doesn't mean that they they suck or I hate them it just is like yeah let's we got to we, we, the, the solution is not we need to make one big union. The solution is we need to take the things that worked from the IWW and figure out something else. Because at the end of the day, all of this stuff is only successful by degrees yep. and, and margins as opposed to accomplishing the goals that they the people at the time would have told you is where they would have wanted to be by 2023. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, what- and that doesn't mean that it's a failure. Nothing ever works out the way that is the the dream except for our eventual gobstopper explosive right well and it's just it's always a fucking back and forth you know it's like and yeah and they successfully i mean like it's hard for me to conceptualize what free speech in this country would look like without this right if like 30 yeah. different cities who had tried to pass you know and i mean cities still do this all the time there's still like weird free speech zones and limitations on public assembly and yeah it's a constant um, fight but it but it continues, and I think that they set back the forces of Mordor or whatever for a very long time by doing yeah. this fighting. I don't know. I think it's fucking cool. Yeah. And I will say one thing that the IWW does currently that I haven't seen anyone else do that I think is just like, if there's like one thing that I'm just like absolutely full support, there's the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. Yes. Which is prisoners organizing their own labor as like prison yeah. labor. And it's fucking awesome. Yes, um, it is very cool. The IWW is still very cool. You may find use in in them, and that's good. Um, they they're they're pretty fucking dope. Uh, I I have yeah. So I don't know. Go. Uh, let's see. Is there a place where people can donate to that? I bet Maybe so. that's a good way to sign off. Um, but if you look up IWOC, you know the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. Yeah. Um. They they do really st- amazing stuff. They've put on a ton of like prison strikes um, and just draw attention to the fact that like and you know we're starting to have 
right now a bunch of states have on their ballots i'm speaking out of my ass a little bit but a, a bunch of states have on their ballots like let's get rid of the loophole where you're allowed to force people to work just because they're in jail or whatever yeah um, yeah and you can in fact donate you can go to incarceratedworkers.org and there's a donate now button or you can go to incarcerated incarceratedworkers.org slash donate and yeah like just right there and that is abs- one of the amazing strengths of the iww is that it's not it's not coming on from on high, you know, like it's people on the outside and the people on the inside are coordinating together to organize these things um, rather than it just being like some some thing that's telling prisoners what they should do or whatever. But if you're not in prison, you should go out and buy Robert's book because Robert is an author. That's right. It's called After the Revolution, um, a thing that a lot of people at the IWW we're, we're talking about also, albeit with less cyborgs when they were talking about it. Probably. Mm-hmm. Sophie, do you have anything to plug? We're at the end of the episode, by the way. The IWW, good people. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen to Behind the Bastards. It's hosted by Robert Evans. It's Maybe. It's a good show. That's all I got. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next week. Every week. Bye. Forever. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.